You're listening to a brand new year of Double Feature with Eric 13 and Michael Kester. Entering its 15th year, the smash hit show has finally achieved the level of critical and commercial success it has always desired. With this milestone comes an all-new format captured on state-of-the-art equipment, thus providing the level of audio production and fidelity that the show truly deserves. Hello? Did this work? I, I don't know. Okay, I think it's working. It sounds like a phone call to me. I mean, it's the same difference. You know, I thought <laughs> the novelty of this is amazing yeah. because uh, phones have been around for at, at least 10 years, maybe 15 I mean, years, 20. I think so. I mean, at least as many years as there are iPhone generations, so 13X. If I, I almost said hundreds of years, and then I'm like, I don't actually know when the phone was invented, <laughs> so I can't. It feels a little bit like a prison call. It does, actually. I'm That's not really sure the, the demeanor of this uh, uh, mental yeah. ward, uh, prison, I'm not really sure. Sure, sure. It's nice yeah. being able to hear you without a 45-minute uh, lag between... I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I just feel like the one thing we need now is like one of those things where like every 10 minutes it just goes like, this is a phone call from right. a New York State correctional facility. Right. I got to like, put a nickel in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, yeah. So it, it's weird because it's like um, it's, it's freshly novel again, the phone I call. Know. Sure. I mean, it's it's retro. Everything everything that's old is new. Do you remember? So you know, like the '90s are back and and everything. But do you remember how like you used to sit on your fucking landline and like hide in a place in your home and just like try and talk to people for just hours? You just sit stationary. Oh yeah, or I have pace. a. If, or if it was you, you'd like nakedly walk among your furniture. But you know what I mean. It was just a. It, you would just. That was your life. That was your. That was your social network. Hey, buddy. That was your life. <laughs> Don't you be imposing your. You think I just laid around in the bed with my feet kicked up, talking to my oh, friends no, on the phone a, all afternoon? I didn't have a phone in my room. I'm like. I'm talking about like I would. I would stretch the coil as far as I could from my fucking kitchen, and right. like. Here, here's the design. Let me tell you about the end experience. I'm going to tell you about a crazy engineering uh, thing here to already prove how loose this is. Here is here's the device that I'm trying to build, and we're not quite mm -hmm. here yet, but maybe right. maybe we'll check in as we right. get here. I want to so fucking. I have I have a tin can with a string. I want a phone on my desk, a uh -huh. no kidding 1990s phone. And yeah. I want to pick it up, and it calls you and starts sure. recording our conversation. That's sure. what I want. Yeah, like the red phone. Because that's the level yeah. of emotional bandwidth yeah. I have. Sure. Right. This fucking show going. It's the, black, it's the black phone. We'll call it the black phone. All right. Well, I, I have to admit to you, the, not only is the novelty great, but I, do, I already feel like we're accomplishing something. So I, yeah, sure. This it feels, feels really good. I don't know if it's, natural. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be worth listening to, but it feels fucking great. Uh huh. All right. So you saw this movie. Uh, did I even tell you the I movie did. I wanted to talk to you about? 
you sent me a photo of a uh, theater stand-up that I assume oh, of a is deflated, the movie uh, yeah, yeah, inflatable yeah. tube ends. Are those supposed to be deflated? By the way, I don't know. They weren't in. They weren't in the theater I, in San Francisco. That oh, I didn't see it in, but I walked by them in a, to, in when I went to see the Black Phone. They had like a big lobby set up. Man, the no. Black Phone would have been the correct seminal movie to start. I know. Start this on. <laughs> we really, we've already fucked up. Can we right, reverse well, engineer it? Fuck it. We're going to talk about the black phone. All right. Did you see the black phone? No. I guess I'll go okay. see it and then we'll. Great. Okay. <laughs> see? Seamless. Look at the. Wait. Does that mean I have to make an edit? Wait. No. You know what? No. Hold on. Fuck it. Hold on. This is, this is how we do this. This All is right, how we do please. this. We're going to do a good old fashioned transition. I'm going to ask you if you see the black phone and then you're just going to respond with the title of the movie you want to talk about. Have you seen the black phone? Nope. <laughs> it's already a good double feature even yeah right <laughs> okay well because because I don't want to already break the dogma 95 rules of our phone call mm-hmm. right. we're not gonna fucking do the black phone first sure. we're gonna do nope first and then I'll go sure. watch the black phone and call right. you <laughs> sure and then also in, in, in true dogma 95 fashion any music that you hear is actually just unfortunately happening too close to us right now right That's what you're <laughs> right <laughs> Well, that's good. Well, it, the the sound design needs to be real time. It's like we're morning yeah. zoo hour again. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, I go to see Nope, and uh-huh. um, there's you know there's there's a lot of iconography in the movie. There's like these inflatable tube men. Everybody's probably sure. familiar with this. But the picture I sent you was the it, it's. You know, I went to a draft house because, again, I can Good. only get, okay. like, 10 feet from my front door. I can't actually uh-huh. go to, like, some weird... Yeah. I can't get on a train. It's too hard. Life is too hard. Mm-hmm. So I go to the mall, you know, yeah. where where the true art house is. And uh, I go to the draft house, and there's a display outside for Nope, but the inflatable mm-hmm. tube men are deflated. Mm-hmm. And I could that, not tell that, if that was how it's supposed to look or because it looked very sad. Let me tell you. Let oh, me hold tell on! You I why. have an incoming call. <laughs> what? How do I? The, uh, can I decline this? I have to decline this call. Ah, damn it! Hey. <laughs> Hello. What? You're not supposed. I hit the wrong button. Um, <laughs> everything's fine, but I have to get off this call. Okay. All right. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. God fucking damn it. I hit the this wrong button. And this, I is hit the this is already perfect. <laughs> this is already perfect. It's staying. <laughs> um, so what I was going to say is like you're talking about the iconography and I think that there is something very poetic about you going to see Nope like like three weeks after the release and the two men are now deflated. <laughs> there's like Yeah, there's I, am, I am so late to it. I never thought. Yeah. Because, okay, so you and I talked about Get Out um, sure. You'd seen it, you know, at the proper time. Sure. And I caught on to it, I don't know, eight months later or something. Yeah. And I vowed to never fuck up that way again. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. And Nope comes out and I'm, I'm literally three weeks behind or something. But like the, the thing about it though, like, so one of the big things about Nope that I think is so like vivid about 
it as an event is that um that I think that um it was such like this you know, I mean that's it, right? It's a Jordan Peele movie is very much like it's Tarantino esque in its eventness now. Yeah. Where just the sheer fact that Jordan Peele is putting out a movie, it's like, oh my God, Jordan Peele's putting out a movie and it's like it doesn't it doesn't fucking matter. I mean, to the point where he came up with the absolute worst title I could ever think of for a movie. Yeah, it's pretty Are you fucking kidding me? What is this? What's uh, happening right now? I don't know. You called me on the other line. That's fine. I'm here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I think that I think that one of the things that really became apparent to me with Nope is that um, the conversation about this movie was, oh my god, Nope is coming out, and then Nope came out, and then everybody just stopped speaking about it. There wasn't like this. There wasn't like this second wave of, oh man, Nope was about this, or it touched on these themes, or had this type of, you know, cinematic uh, scope or anything. It was just Nope is coming out. Then Nope came out. Then they turned off the tube men. Yeah, I did manage to not get spoiled, so that was good. Well, but that's isn't that insane with yeah, all the yeah, talk about with all the talk about the movie coming out. And I mean, like it, it's, um, it's just crazy that it's that the event is just sheerly the release of the film and then take it or leave. It doesn't fucking matter. You know, people showed up. Um, hold on. I'm doing that, that. I'm doing this one more time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Give me just one sec. Of course. Total pros. Somewhere in here, there's like a cam-esque, shitty, like Blumhouse tilt horror movie. I was really of... afraid that the movie wouldn't be in theaters anymore, really. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, the, the thing that fucking delighted me about this, though, is it's such a big movie that you see the trailer 100,000 times. Mm-hmm. And, and what prevented me from going to see it was I was trying to, like, forget all the fucking spoilers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, like, a couple brief moments in the trailer that are a little fucked up, and then it's just sort of like, yeah, alien movie, there's horses. It's a wildly unspoilable movie. I know, that's crazy about it. It felt, to me, I mean, I don't know. Like, I would compare Nope more to E.T. than to Get Out. Well, yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? It's almost right. like I don't, I don't want to start going down the rabbit hole of, oh, my God, what genre is this? But, you know, if you, if you want to double feature the movie, the first <laughs> idea I had is, oh, put it with a black Western. Right. You know, sure. because that yeah. takes another angle of it. And yeah. as soon as, you know, the pre-show starts exactly. and, they're, and they're talking about black Westerns, I'm like, oh, my God, it's a whole area of cinema I just don't know anything about. Right. And the Western element was another bit that I just, like, it was not bringing me to the theater because I am not a, a huge Western person. Right. I like the spaghetti Westerns. We talked about the spaghetti Westerns. I like the violent stuff. But I don't really like it because it's a Western, Michael. I like right. it because it's fucking violent. Right. And you I like, like it the, because it's exploitation. Yeah, I like, like the Italian ones because they're weird yeah. and Italian. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, but I don't like the rah-rah American stuff sure yeah and part of that is just like how outrageously white it is Mm -hmm. so when someone's like what about black westerns i suddenly felt like i'm sorry what 
Yeah, because the as to me, and I mean, I think that this is this is still to this day this I would consider it a stigma of westerns, but it's 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 the John Wayne of it all, mm-hmm. right? It's just this big like iconic American man whose whole job is to be an American man, a true man, a true American, a man's man, and I'm just like, Meh. go search somewhere else. Yes, thank you. Like, um. So, yeah, I mean, that that's definitely – I think I'm glad that you saw it at the Draft House because I definitely – I know we've talked about the Draft House ad nauseum on the show, but, like, the pre-show I think was killer for this because it, it you know, it showed the, like, purple people in your video. Um, and also the other thing that was really funny uh, was the um, – they have their special menu and they had the um, – what was it called? The Sheriff's Office Pork Belly Pizza. Which uh, doesn't make any goddamn sense. And then you're watching the movie and there's like this one scene where he's walking through old old Western town uh, after the big after the big event. And uh, there's just a pig on the roof of the fake sheriff's office. And you're like, that's funny. That's funny. But like it's not a joke. It's not even a joke in the movie, but it's a joke when there's a menu item called sheriff's office pork belly pizza. (laughs) You know, and like it's that's that to me is the it really brought the joy back to the draft house to have a pre-show that like built jokes into the movie that weren't otherwise jokes. Like when um, when I don't even care what the character's name is because he will always just be top dollar from the crow. But when top dollar from the crow has like the most like frightening rendition of purple people eater uh, and it goes on for so long Um it's like that's just like it feels so good to have watched the purple people eater video and then you have this like dark you know it would have it if it weren't a jordan peele movie man like that him singing that song would have been the trailer you know what yeah, i mean right right it, it would have been his low gravelly voice doing a dramatic re- <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> reimagining of one-eyed one horn flying purple people eater and yeah, there's so like, many good cinematography gags with that guy that are yeah. just I I've just questioned um all the Hollywood stuff as I'm watching it. Sure. I'm just like, are people getting this? Is everybody just so literate to this now that Yeah. You know, there's a cool thing about its representation of people working in the film industry because it's like a lot of gigging, a lot of like... Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, they're not obsessively talking about their love of cinema. They're not going on a fucking no. French New Wave thing. Right. They raise horses. You know, well, one of the characters raises horses. Yeah. And that's like his life. So much so that it becomes like a linchpin of how they're going to do what they're going to do. Sure. And... That's just like a much cooler way to represent, you know, it's a a movie about animal wranglers, you know? Well, and I think the other thing to me that really, the thing that I think I took away the most from Nope, other than that the fucking title is stupid, um, is that uh, there's all this, the trailer bait and all the like poster bait of the kite in the clouds and the, the wacky inflatable tube men and and those like pieces like yeah they're in the movie and but those the, the thing that's crazy to me is that is that what was icons in the marketing is plot points in the movie and then what is icons in the movie you have to watch the movie to see yeah right because to me i'm thinking like what would mondo do for a note poster 
and it would have it would have you know there would be a fucking nickel stuck upright in a piece of wood that iconography is insane but to me i mean i can't think of i can't think of a shot in the last maybe 10 20 years of horror movies that i think is like like i wish i could get it tattooed on my body which is when it's when it's raining and the the ufo is over the house oh yeah that scene that just image and like they show it's like a god shot of like it's like a trunk shot of this house in the pouring rain um there's a lot more to it but it's like that scene to me like that image again if it weren't jordan peele if if they needed to get people to go to the movie that would have been the fucking poster i thought about that so much while i was watching it the the kind of like how much of this was created, like you even say, you know, the song, the slow rendition song, and Sunglasses at Night kind of has a little bit yeah. of that too, yeah, where they sure. seem like baked in trailer moments, but then the trailer ends up being all misdirection moments. Yeah. And I felt, you know, and, and I think this is something, not only that Jordan Peele is, is uh, uniquely great at, but also seems to be getting more and more every movie is this marketability sounds dirty, you know, but kind of like how are people going to talk about this movie? How do movies live now, you know? Sure. What are people going to take home and think about but then not run off and spoil versus like how can we kind of, how can we pitch a movie to an audience in a trailer and still have them show up and not have any clue what it's about? Right. And it's really hard especially right now to have and this is you know this is the the best fucking part of it to me is that you go see the movie and and I'm watching it and still going like I'm not really sure what this is I'm not really right. sure what I'm watching right. the the like you said the the sort of ET feeling the um the kids on bikes kind of yeah even though there's no kids on bikes, really. Well, I mean, I think a huge component of it, and one of the like honestly bravest things that the movie does. I shouldn't. I feel like I feel dirty saying brave when it's like a movie with that black people made. But you know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Um, is that like this movie takes place in the daytime, almost exclusively, and it's like a it's there's like some very don't show the monsterism to the whole film and the mm-hmm. fact that by the end of the movie it's like fucking broad daylight like magic hour fucking you know late afternoon the magic hour gag as like a I plot beat I could not believe <laughs> that he was just so I love it I love that so much but don't forget they also have a lot of the like the really. Um, where a lot of the iconography of the posters and stuff comes from is this really bizarre new day for night thing they're doing. Right. Where uh, I, it's not worth like going over, but there's a, um, there's a article if people care about it, but I guess they shot it um, digitally and on film at the same time. Interesting. And it, it's a really strange look as all day for night kind of is. Yeah. But I felt like, oh, a lot of the movie must be at night. That's why they're working on this look so much. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, either way, the you know, the nights are so bright and then the day stuff is all like Yeah. The fact we're we're out fucking around with creature feature stuff in the broad daylight. I started yeah. thinking about Jaws. I started thinking about right. how much of this movie is For like, sure. you know, is basically a Jaws type movie or a 
you know, taming the beast kind of, um, yeah, you know, all of that subplot I thought was awesome or, or, uh, it's not even subplot. It's just like, you know, the flashbacks, the chimp stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, dude. Yeah. That's just the, the coolest stuff in the, the movie to me. And, you know, the, the more I think about it, the more it's like, oh, there's kind of like a, a deep thread running through all of that that really informs, you know, what's happening now. That's that's where I think a lot of the themes are in that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think I think too when we're talking the the thing that the the unique thing that Jordan Peele has been able to accomplish with this movie, even more than us, even obviously more than Get Out because that was his first. Is like I, I honestly feel like I would not be surprised if the poster for the next Jordan Peele movie just said Yango. Kaluuya, Peel. Yeah, 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 it's getting to that you know what I mean? that kind of like, eyes wide shut level. Yeah, it's just like it, it, like not even a title anymore. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could go back in time and tell myself like you would have fun at this movie in a in a really twisted way. Not that um, not that I like drug my heels because I was uh, afraid of being entertained or anything, but you know, combining like when I. When I say, okay, imagine a, a sci-fi meets Western, what do you think of? I mean, the first thing I think of is, unfortunately, cowboys versus aliens. Yeah, totally. That's exactly yeah. <laughs> what I was going to fucking say. Or Wild Wild West, you know? Yeah, like, right, or right. It, there, there's kind of a way to, like, we've already gone through the, the genre masher mm-hmm. and and given like some pretty straightforward paths to how you combine things uh-huh. and to see it it feels wrong to even go okay yeah it's sci-fi meets yeah western now because i guess it just i would doesn't say come out that way now i would say pray but that's only within the last like four days yeah you didn't answer my question by the way <laughs> english version or comanche dub on pray uh, I mean, you, I think you got to go Comanche dub, right? All right. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. Now I have to see the fucking Black Phone, and I'm pissed about the title of our show because the Black Phone, nope, is way funnier. Yeah, but in uh, embracing, you know, the the grungy DIY aesthetic, right. I'm just gonna middle finger that. All right, I have to get <laughs> off the phone. How do you end a phone call? I don't know. I forget how to do this. I, I end the phone call. This is how I actually end all phone calls is I just say watch more fucking film. <laughs> you can't do that halfway through the show. Jesus. Uh, I don't know. No. Um, yeah. Let me know when you see uh, the other one and we'll, uh, I'll find another dark cabinet to crawl into. <laughs> all right. See ya. Bye. You're listening to the long-demanded, uncut version of Double Feature. If you're not afraid of being spoiled, you can also find 14 years worth of shows at patreon.com forward slash double feature. Is this a phone call? Did we figure out another phone call? Yeah. No, I was driving when you called me. I assume you're back from the movie. Back from the movie, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I've made it all the way back from the black phone, the movie. Yeah, the, ba- the black phone, the movie. Wow.
I knew it was the black phone because of the amazing uh, uh, analog tribute title sequence. Yeah, uh, to the yeah. film. The the uh, the like the like completely like unnecessarily <laughs> like unnecessarily idiosyncratic attention to the like nineteen seventy eight period piece detail of the movie. Oh, I thought like, I thought they matched the period to the girl's eight millimeter dreams. I thought. <laughs> Well, we have to set the movie in the seventies. She dreams in eight millimeter. Nothing we can do yeah. about that. No, you know the you know the real answer to why your movie is set in nineteen seventy eight <laughs> is because is because when you say it's a movie called The Black Phone, everybody has a very vivid idea, and then you go in nineteen seventy eight, and everyone goes, "Oh, right, right." It's You're thinking of the black phones. phone booths. That's the yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I assume you set it in the seventies. Because you're sort of uh, you're trying to appease the old people, but the young people might mistake it for the same decade as Stranger Things. Sure, and also the other thing, the other thing too is like the '70s allows for like people to not just be able to like like Google Earth a person's house. <laughs> right, right. That's why see. you use your eight millimeter dreams. Yeah, yeah. You got it. <laughs> You need you can't you, basically it's the the 70s is a wonderful horror device for avoiding the luxuries of very simple police work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the um you know the the real like the reason to be in the 70s for a movie like this is uh so I just read Helter Skelter recently. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's it's fucking satanic panic, fucking yeah. Well, the devil the devils in the devils in the suburbs. Sure. In the like late seventies, early eighties, yeah. Well, it's also the serial killers. You know, yep. it's yeah. It's crazy to think, especially American serial killers, but um, you know, all the serial killers that uh, and. And I remember you had this phase a little bit more than I did, but you know, you kind of like mm-hmm. find out about serial killers in high school and just uh, do, do a, like a. This is pre Wikipedia, I guess. But I did my uh, I did my senior my senior year high school thesis paper on serial killers. Oh yeah, so that's right in the. That's <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have painted a more perfect picture of that. <laughs> what did you? So how did you do this pre Wikipedia? How were you? Uh, man, because clearly like, so, now you just go on list of serial yeah, killer right. episodes or whatever the page is, yeah. and you just sort the the list. Yeah, um, we still had a little bit of internet. Um, had a lot of library. I actually so my uh, my aunt at the time worked as a par- paralegal, and one of the lawyers she worked for um, knew. There was a guy out here in the. Uh, I'm sorry, out here meaning in the Chicago suburbs where I am visiting. Um, oh wow! This is like live yeah. from location. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there was a guy out here who murdered a bunch of girls in Wheaton, Illinois, and my aunt's uh, coworker knew his lawyer. And I actually, as as an eighteen year old kid, went and interviewed this guy's defense attorney. Oh man! To try, I mean, he was in fucking prison for you know murdering and raping a bunch, and the lawyer like. <laughs> couldn't he he wasn't like exactly forthcoming to be like yeah dude this dude was a piece of shit rapist he was you know obviously he had to not say that shit but um oh yeah, so was, so I mean, he's a was, good lawyer was, is what you're saying he was a good lawyer yeah i mean he didn't like send anybody cloned phones or anything he was like a real ass lawyer um and <laughs> the cloned phone <laughs> um 
yeah, so I mean, I was like in this shit. Like, I was literally talking to like serial killers. Defense. I was mine hunting at eighteen. Sure, sure. Well, it was probably about two years too early for us to have a, a smash hit true crime podcast. I know. I think we Bummer. just missed the window. Could have changed the whole trajectory, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Chicago, real famous serial killer spot. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, we, got, we got the good, we got most of the good ones within the Chicagoland area. Or within like, I would say within like a hundred miles of Chicago. Well, because I finished Helter Skelter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was just talking to Ben Ecker today about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patreon Ben Ecker. But we were talking about how the fuck to record phone calls or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and I was telling him about Helter Skelter. I can't remember why the fuck I brought it up. But, um, you know, we were talking about the thing that was kind of crazy about it. And you bring up the satanic panic. But it's like... The satanic panic was everybody was afraid that the Dungeons and Dragons kids were gonna commit murders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the the crazy thing about Manson that I never really thought about before is like Manson as a counterculture figure. Sure. Because you know I didn't read Helter Skelter, and I would have I would have probably prioritized it a lot more if I knew how much it intertwined with, you know, the counterculture of the moment and then how much it would go on to affect just so much different media mm-hmm. uh, after that because it was, you know, it penetrated the zeitgeist so much. And you would see it in, in serial killer stories forever, in horror, in... Uh, it just became such a part of fiction yeah. because it, it is so insane. But the thing we were talking about that's crazy is like, like imagine if the Mulgoths growing up, like one of them actually uh, uh, became like a, I don't know, a famous rock star people followed and then they all did killings in his name. Mm-hmm. You know, like Manson was really, it, suddenly these Manson killings happened and the, the part that I didn't really realize is the reaction at the time his parents all start looking around going, oh, my God, is this my hippie kids? Yeah. Where, where are they going to emerge from next? You know, they had, like, the followers of Manson during the trial who would, like, stay out on the street corner, and they right. ended up, like, sewing their hair into his fucking vest and all this crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, just to think, you know, like, oh, my God, what's wrong with the kids and that coming from Manson? But anyways, the reason I, I mentioned any of that is because I was so surprised how many serial killers were in the 70s. Like, there was literally, like, something oh, yeah. in the fucking water. It was just, yeah, I mean, it's it's nuts because, like, like, I mean, I don't know. This is an extremely morbid way to put this, but I feel like it is actually true. Like, the way that, you know, there's a fucking, there's a fucking mass shooting every 24 hours in America now, there was a serial killer then. And, like, yeah. some were, like, headline-worthy ones sort of just like slunk around until Patton Oswalt's wife uh, tracked him down. Yeah. Michelle, what was her name? Michelle. I shouldn't say Patton Oswalt's wife. That's shitty. Uh, Michelle, <laughs> Michelle uh, McNamara. Michelle McNamara. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I was going to make a, um, uh, a reference, of course, to our like early true crime person in the black phone who's got sure. his conspiracy map and yeah. his, he's like yeah. got his, oh my God. his whole podcast ready. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, such a weird character in this. But yeah, the the um, <laughs> the other true crime book, if you could call it that, I guess, was Devil in the White City mm-hmm. that I was reading, which is, you know, H.H. H. Holmes, and that's Chicago. Mm-hmm. And people yep. debate if, if he even merits being called a serial killer. But that kind of, you know, the thing you hear about H.H. H. Holmes is like, oh, he had a murder castle. It's during the World's Fair. And, uh, and they announced that series that, I don't know, with the, the rate they turn this stuff out now, it's probably got like four seasons on Hulu already. Right. <laughs> but it was, I had the same thought, like going through the, you know, going through the ones in Chicago and then thinking about Manson. And then it kind of, it it's not that it ends in the 70s, but you're right. It, it's the thing that's different about modern killers and the gun violence is it's almost the inverse where it's like huge body count barely right. makes the news. Right, right. Whereas so many of the serial killers were, you know, um, I was telling somebody like, oh my God, did you know the Manson killings? There were like, I don't know, there were like nine he was tried with and then maybe as many as 30. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the yeah. person I was talking to was just like only 30, right. you know, like, right. I'm like, that's got to be some kind of record. And she's thinking, no, you know, it's 75 or something. That has to be like a lot. And I looked and it's like most serial killers are like five victims, you know, five confirmed, Did seven rumored. Uh, no, can you still hear me? Oh, my God. I no longer hear I, you. I did literally mute myself. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it was literally 30. That was the last thing you said before you excitedly oh, yeah, yeah. decided. <laughs> well, just that, just that, you know, and then in looking, serial killers weren't convicted of 75 murders. Right. They're, right. they're basically convicted of like five murders and maybe they yeah. did... 15 or, if you really believe everything or they they're like said. convicted or they're like convicted of like fucking tax evasion well that too yeah you know that like too. it was like it was there was this whole that 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 was the reality that sort of goes back to what i'm saying about you know the 70s being 1978 as a as a period for making a like the the reality is like you have to catch them one time yeah. There's no way. There's no way that this that Ethan Hawke's character in the black phone is. I mean, he's he he gets John Wayne Gacy right. Like they catch him, and then he's the idiot who has the graveyard under his house. <laughs> right. But but like Ted Bundy, on the other hand, you know, like they catch Ted Bundy for murdering like one or two people, and then he's like, yeah, I actually killed like more, and then they prove a few more, and he goes like. No, like way more, like, <laughs> like 500. Well, that was Holmes' thing is I think he was, he was eventually convicted for one murder. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, and then he's like, oh, I killed all these people. And those people pop up later and they're like, no, we're definitely not dead. So, yeah. you know, that happens <laughs> too. But, you know, the, the, the point I guess I was making about, um, about it being the inverse of today is that it was so consciousness shocking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like if somebody well, gruesomely murders three yeah. people, it's not that the yeah. the number really doesn't matter. You know, right. it's the sort of idea of someone being kidnapped, held in a sure. basement, the person right. coming down with a tray of food like every yeah. three yeah. days or whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, and and but the 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 kernel of fear still remains the same, right? Because the kernel of fear, I just had this experience with. So I'm I'm out visiting my parents, and I'm talking about I'm going into the city, you know, and my dad is just like, I'm just I'm so scared because like people all over, and and everybody who doesn't live in Chicago thinks that you just die. Oh uh, sure, and and. uh and I'm just like, it's funny now that we're talking about this because it's the same fear, right? It's it's the it's the fear that it the the fear of this this mass shooting thing as it's gotten worse. It's the same kernel of fear that that you would have in the '70s, which is once you know it can happen, it's really hard to justify why it wouldn't happen to you. Hmm. You know what I mean? Hmm. So like in the black phone, as soon as kids start going missing, it's like, okay, well now it could be any of our children next, right? That's the fear. And, and today in, in 2022 America, you're like, okay, well shit, I'm going to see a movie. Uh, I hope I don't get shot because that could happen at any moment. In the seventies, even beating your kid wouldn't stop them from getting abducted. That's Clearly, how crazy no. things were. Right, I know. And that's it doesn't how nuts make it, it was. It's, it's insane. Um, I think that scene is, is Jeremy Davies whipping his fucking kids. Yeah. Yeah. Just one of the most fucked up things that, I've seen I in mean, a while. The, yeah, and the fact, and the the thing, I I feel like so so to, to to talk about some of the things in the movie that I think is really like insane. It's like this movie did so much there's so much in this movie about redemption like these individual character redemptions um where the movie kind of like teases this idea that like maybe x isn't such a bad guy Mm. you know what i mean it's like over and over it's saying this it's like maybe this person guy and then and then like they'll do you're like well they kind of seem like a person that might be beating their kids and then they beat their kids yeah and then and then, you know, ultimately he's like, I'm really sorry. I'm glad you survived the the death house. <laughs> right. And like I'm sitting there like I don't feel like – that doesn't feel like redemption to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like – and I think obviously the movie is trying to draw that parallel, right? Like what is the difference between being held captive by a maniac in a basement or being held captive by your own parent who may snap at any minute and beat the shit out of you. Like, what is the act? Well, also difference? speaks a lot to that time, right? Yeah, it's like kids are just beating the fuck out of each other. Yeah. You I mean, know, it was a parents time, beating man. the kids, like everything in the world is, it was uh, so, it was so violent. There was so, it was, it was very much, you know, people like to think back to those times and be like, man, it was such a, things were so much safer. Now you can't go out without, you know, getting mugged in the streets in Minneapolis. You know what I mean? But it's like, yeah. was it a safer time or was the monster just at home? Yeah. And, and, you know, I also think it sort of serves to connect to today in going, um, just to say, don't always view things with rose colored glasses. Sure. Right. Even yeah. if, uh, even if it doesn't comment about things being a different kind of evil, and I think it does. I mean, that's that's a lot of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But even just to say, like, that that sort of Stranger Things idea of, like, this nostalgic 80s yeah. sort of... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun neon time. It's a place people like to... to I was going to say reminisce back to, but I think at this point the generation is so far removed from that. Right. 
But it's like there's still problems. The world is still, uh, as much as we think about the world as cold and cruel today, it was still a pretty fucked up place back then. Well, and it was, it was so, it was, it, it was, it, you know, at the time it felt so developed and it felt like, wow, look at this society, look how far we've come. But like looking back on it from today, you know, the first thing we talked about, or the, at least I talked about was how like police work could have solved the black phone in 15 minutes in modern society. Mr. Police like, work. I gave you sure. all the clues. Yeah. But it's like, it's, I mean, it's like it, it so the, this, the, the the actual like detective work finding this kid it's like fucking neanderthalic like mm. it's like insane to me it's like this kids you could see his head from the street but people are like i can't figure out where this kid is <laughs> right and it's yeah. like um it, it takes well, nobody asked jesus that's why right it takes magic dreams to solve the problem it's also i mean that that to me you know i said earlier on that I think that like 2022 horror is, is like just not, it's not swinging for the fences the way that I would like it to. And like one of the things that I think is, is a it's, I mean, I get what the movie's doing with it. And so like, it's fine because there is some, I, because this movie is set so firmly in 1978, I like give it a pass for the supernatural because like, in a, let's see if I can explain this. Cause it is kind of interesting. So, you know, obviously like I would be bothered by the fact that there's a ghost phone and like a mystic dream solution is essentially a, you know, that bothers me. That's sort of like deus ex machina, good thing. My sister dreamt about she had yeah. done it sooner. Um, but I think the reason that I'm like willing to give it more of a pass is because in 1978 people were fucking dumb and they might've thought that was real. You know what I mean? Like hmm. there's something, there's like this sort of, there's this sort of lack of, of the, the scientific mindset that would be like, there's no such thing as ghost phones in 1978. Like I feel like the general public would like, I mean, I think we can, we, you, there's probably evidence of this. I'm not going to do the research because I'm on a phone, but I assume that in 1978, this is here's what I mean. In 1978, if a little girl goes to the police and goes, "I dreamt my brother is in this house," I believe that the police would go check it out. Check the house. Yeah. Well, I mean, they still follow psychic yeah. evidence. Yeah. And uh, you know, even as recent as a couple of years ago, this was like a a rote plot beat for yeah. true crime podcasts yeah. is now we'll do the chapter where the cops follow the the psychic detective yeah. for a while that'll just be yeah. fodder for a couple uh, you know for get at least an episode out of that uh yeah so i guess it is it is from a time like it's kind of funny this movie um you know it works on the audience from the era it's from so it sort of like double wraps itself in that um, uh, in that capsule, I guess. God Here damn it! Go. I put you on fucking hold. <laughs> I, I just don't know how to do any of this. Jesus oh Christ! God. That would be. Can you imagine if that was a plot point in the movie? It's like, okay, what am I supposed to do? I'm sorry, I put you on hold. Who is this again? <laughs> So one person that we don't get a redemption arc for is Ethan Hawke's poor character. 
Yeah. Who um, uh, is obviously just such a huge force in this film. And yeah, I mean, it's the movie. Yeah, right, right. I, I was watching... Uh, I was watching the movie and you know you're kind of like settling in and, and seeing how you feel about it and whatever and then it dawned on me like oh yeah there's the Ethan Hawke part that mm-hmm. is that's like everything you know it, it's a total game changer from the from settling into this area you're in yeah and I uh, I think you know I don't know if you saw as many of these press things that went around but it seemed like they were impossible to avoid all these Ethan Hawke interviews um, kind of talking about how he doesn't you know like playing villains mm-hmm. and how this was yeah, different yeah, yeah. and but yeah. one I saw that I I thought was particularly enticing for the movie was when he was talking about this idea of like uh, of it almost being like Greek theater or something. I think he said, you know, acting behind a mask like this. Mm-hmm. And so the mask also has these different components. It like kind of pulls apart. It's got. Um, I mean, I don't. I don't know what association you know comes to mind for you. This like the frowning mask, the smiling sure. mask. The, mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen a couple iterations of this, but I can't. Like one doesn't doesn't necessarily pop to mind. Yeah, same. Um, uh, the only thing I can think of is the mayor from Nightmare Before Christmas. You know, I think that's probably the one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a little bit of that. But yeah, I guess I I do feel like I've seen a couple iterations of this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think they work in in great effect it's it's really cool to see him like run outside with half the mask on yep. um or to sort of like see it, you almost wonder like he goes into you know he goes into the room with the frown mask already on mm-hmm. like he knows you know you could read that scene as he comes down there and then his mood sours Right. You know, that's something you see with uh, serial killers in, in movies, these sort of mm-hmm. twisted killers is, you know, that they, they're temperamental or that they flip on a dime or that, you know, something about that. But I think him coming down there with that sort of predetermined, like, mood, there's yeah. a weird intention to it that I just found, like, kind of fucked up. I think the thing too, there's a, there's a, a, an extension of that that I thought was really one of the more frightening parts of the movie to me, which is that when he, you sort of what you're saying, you know, he is sort of, he is sort of like directing that theatrical presence of what he's planning to do. Cause he's in so much control of this situation. And one of the points I just remember being like, Oh shit, this is very, this is like a very dark moment was that scene um, where uh, they're outside the house. Um, they've, they've run outside the house, and the neighbors are all waking up. And he says, uh, he says, if you make a sound, I'll fucking stab you to death right here or whatever. And it's like in that moment, hit like all of the like all of the character and the pomp and the facade of him doing this sort of ritual just like vanishes and he's just like i will just slaughter you in the street yeah you know it's like and when he's like it's sort of like to me what that like really felt like 
is it was like this. It, it 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 just like felt so damning to be like wow really like your only chance of survival is to be in his world because if you're outside of it he's just going to like he's just going to kill you just cold-blooded kill you like you have to play by the rules to a certain degree because outside of that house he doesn't care <gasps> Well, I get this impression that one of the things the movie cares the most about is, uh, you know, like from a writing standpoint, it is very concerned with earning its way out of the house. Absolutely. You know, this is, it's like a kid armed with like wits and magic phone calls and a tiny toy flashlight and he has to better himself and sort of get over all of the the stuff they've set up, you know, with with like how he is in school, him being shy, et cetera. I think the other thing though that that is important about that is that the movie is also very concerned with every previous victim getting revenge. It's mm-hmm. not just it's not just all of them coming together so one can survive. Like him a piece of the puzzle that like it's not just that oh thanks to all of their thing you know he doesn't like captain planet his way out yeah, it's right. like it's like that kid made him dig a hole and now ethan hawk's fucking foot is broken so that kid got to break his foot you know it's like True. those those moments of like individual revenge for each of those kids like i feel like the movie plays that out really well because you know sort of sort of like i was saying with the with the beating thing like when you're, when you're talking about this redemption of like, we've talked about this all the time on the show, but like if, 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 if a villain's demise doesn't feel equal to their level of evil, it doesn't feel like you're being validated. And, you know, it, it wouldn't be enough for him to just get like shot in the head by the police as the kid ran out of the house. That like wouldn't feel good. It would just be like, eh, he deserved more than that. Yeah, like, he he's, he's got to get his uh, job of the hut ending. And so I feel like the movie does a really good job of letting each of the victims like fuck him up a little bit. Uh, all right. Well, the shower has turned on in my house, so I guess <laughs> we're ending the phone call. Right, uh, I'll talk to you in a bit. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> This show is brought to you by the Double Feature Executive Producers. Quick update. The Arnold Schwarzenegger robot who was going to read everyone's names is broken. Arnold, Bob is broken. The system is down. So the executive producers are Tom Leonard, Kara, Ross Muller, Henrik Dinter, Aaron Shore, Ben Ecker, Charles Crawford, and Jeremy. If you like the show, help keep it on the air by joining patreon.com forward slash double feature.